Thank you, Paul. Good afternoon to everyone. Hope you're having a good summer. It's disappearing, if you notice what the calendar is telling us. Back to school. I'm sure the kids are so excited. So excited. Listen to the excitement. Absolutely. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn to the book of Titus. The little book of Titus. I've managed to acquire a summer cold, so uh, I apologize in advance, but we'll, uh, we'll get through it. Titus will begin in chapter 2 and verses 11 through 14. 11 through 14. Titus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. May God add a special blessing to reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and your concern and your care for us. We thank you for those that have come out today, that you especially be with them and bless them and their families. Protect them, Father, and provide for them and all of their needs. And Father, relationally, they would just gain a further insight, even in gathering today, around your word and around these, your people. We would ask that you would be glorified, and Father, that your purposes would be met, and that is for our good to be expanded, be conformed to the image of your Son. Uh, Father, we also ask as the word goes out today that you would protect it, that you would be uh, guiding and directing it, and Father, that the Holy Spirit would solely be our teacher today. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish. We look with anticipation for the things that come as a result of these moments that we spend with you and your word, the truth. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been engaged in uh, a study that's went on for some some, uh, series of weeks. Uh, and what, what's our study been about? Grace. I was hoping somebody would come up with that because if nobody got that, we would have to start all over again and that would be very painful. We've been studying about grace. Grace. Tell me again. Uh, let's just explore some of the things we've learned. Tell me about grace. What do you know about it? What do you, what do you appreciate about it? It is free to us. It, didn't, it, what, it cost a lot though, didn't it? It cost Jesus Christ his life to think that God came to earth to be a man, to die at the hands of those he created, to save them who hated him for eternity. That sounded pretty cool, didn't it? But that's what God accomplished through Jesus Christ. What else can we say about grace? It's for all of us. Uh, It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what your bank account says. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter how old you are. Now think of that. It's, it truly has enormous capabilities and opportunities. What else would we say? Or we're finished. <laughs> all done. That's it. That's all. We don't deserve it. That's one of the things, the very meaning of grace itself. Uh, and if you take acronym uh, G, God's riches at Christ's expense, we didn't deserve any of that. None of it was unmerited favor. Think of that for a moment and 
And even that, that unmerited favor still doesn't even really do it justice, does it? Well, today, uh, anything else? You guys are on such a roll. I don't want to stop progress or anything. Excuse me? It brings salvation. Literally, we are saved by grace. Uh, if, if, and that is a key concept. Never lose sight of that. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by good works. We're saved unto good works, all because of what grace literally accomplishes in our life. Isn't that? It, it's beautiful. For us to understand grace is super significant for us to really understand the life in which we're engaged in. It's, it's super important. Now, the other thing is, is sometimes grace maybe isn't fully understood if we don't understand the God of the Old Testament, his demands and the constraints that was placed from the law. And all of it. the law was really our tutor, if you will, or our teacher, as described in, in Galatians chapter 3, to guide us literally to Christ, to guide us to grace. In fact, in our first verse that we read, that we read today in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it even describes the incarnation, and that is that grace is described as being Jesus himself. Let's look at that for a second. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Titus chapter 2 and look at verse 11. And then uh, if you don't, listen carefully. For the grace of God, there it is, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Literally, that's the picture of Jesus Christ. The grace himself, the grace of God is pictured, personified in Jesus Christ himself. That's really the picture of grace. He's, he's the whole deal. He is the whole deal. Grace. Grace. Now, sometimes we think of grace maybe a little bit too narrowly, and that's what we want to try to do today. We want to expand your horizons of the full impact, if you will, of what grace accomplishes and has the possibilities of doing for and to you. Now, we would first of all say, and that's the key component, obviously, is that grace saves us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And that's what we do. If there's anything we can add to it, we, we run away and put our hand up and say, that was me, that was all about me. No, that's not anything of us. God himself totally, completely, without any additions or deletions from us, saves us through grace. Grace. Grace, the full impact of grace is phenomenal. And no, no doubt about it, saving us is key and component. But the first thing we'll look at, I want, uh, there's basically four things, four gists, if you will, that I want you to see the full impact or the full package, the full plethora of grace's impact for you and the capabilities that you have. And it's not just being saved from hell. Now, there, there are those. Now, if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Him and Him alone, you are saved from hell. But that is not at all what the scriptures really are defining and describing for us as being the most important thing. That may surprise you. Because if your sole purpose is to be saved from hell, that really is very short-sighted. And you say, really? That would be a good start. Well, that's called fire insurance. But God has a bigger picture. A way bigger picture. There's four things that we're going to look at today. And the first one we're going to find is actually the past or the sense of you, through grace, being saved from the penalty of sin. Penalty. The penalty of sin literally is described for us in the Bible as death. There, that's, uh, that's the picture that is given to us in Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter... Hold your place. We'll be back to Titus uh, on numerous occasions. Romans chapter 6. We'll look at verse 23. You see, we don't necessarily have a 
problem with hell per se. We have a problem with something that's more sinister and something that literally is behind all of that. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And, and as don't read it if you're not familiar with it. Some of you already are, but it's interesting. How many of you worked this week? Now, if you're on vacation, that's okay. Did you work last week or the week before or the year before? Somewhere I'm trying to get in. Did you work? And the answer is yes. Most hands went up. It keeps you healthy. That's right, Tony. You stay with that, right? Okay. Now, so if you've worked, how many of you love to work for nothing forever? Now, it seems like it's easy now. It happens that way. But literally, at the end of your work, there's some sense of a desire. There's some sense of a trajectory. There's a, an overarching goal that through the result of our work, whether we're paid monetary or not, there's something behind that, and it's called wages. You've worked for something, Right? You guys look skeptical. You look very skeptical. From a monastery standpoint, uh, you've heard it before, but, but Lisa and I, we started with nothing. We have half of that left. What's bothering me is I only have a quarter of the energy left. That's the problem I'm really concerned about, right? But there is something that happens when you're working for something. There are something called wages. Now, the real problem we have, and literally what God has set aside as that place that we call hell or Hades technically today, is the fact that it is a place that was designed for Satan and his angels. Not for people, for Satan and his angels, but those that won't follow God's plan, and that is following, accepting grace, that's where it goes. But the key to this understanding is, let's go to, let's go, where did I tell you to go? Let's not do that yet. Let's not do that right now. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. And let's look at verse 12. This is where the whole problem started. Wherefore, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. There's the problem. There's the problem. Now turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages, the payment of sin is death. Oh, stop. Don't don't read further because there's really good news at the end of that verse, but don't read it yet. I don't want you... You're reading it. You guys aren't stopping. You're not paying attention. Just wait because we're going to get there. It's always good to start with the bad news first rather than ending with it. And I have really bad news to start with, but it's awesome, fantastic news at the end. I'm here to encourage you that God doesn't leave us hanging... In fact, he could have said, you've got a big problem, and it's sin. And the wages of sin is death. And you're all sinners because you've... I'm sorry, you're all going to die because you're all sinners. But wait, there's more. Excuse me? But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, but God. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. But God. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Isn't it great? I love the but gods in Scripture because he knows we're in trouble. He knows we've got a problem. In fact, he knows there's nothing we can do about it. But God... Isn't that good? It's good stuff. But sin is literally our problem. I, I, I don't want to be just saved from hell. I want to be saved from sin. Let me say that one more time. I don't want to be saved just from hell. I want to be saved from sin because sin is what sends me there. Am I too loud? You'll get used to it. Sin. Sin is our problem, and it started because we disobeyed God. We took God off the throne of our lives, and you say, we, it wasn't me. It was Eve and Adam. He was our representative. And I'm afraid to say that if anyone in this room or beyond us had the same opportunities, we would have done the same thing. Right? 
The choices that God gave us, you know, they're, they're really his desire, if you go back in the scripture and you understood and unfold it all, his wonderful desire for us is for, him, for us to love him. To love him. What makes love, love? Now that sounded weird the way I said it, but what truly makes love, love? I heard caring, I heard choice, I heard action. Do you know love wouldn't be love unless there was also the choice not to love? That's what makes love, love, is having the full opportunity to express love, having the opportunity not to love. You see, that's what makes love, love. Without that, it's nothing more than robotics. If you say you love God, it's just because you've done things and you've systematically just lined them all up and you say, boy, don't you see how I love God? Because look at my works. No, 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 it's a relationship. It's a beautiful, understanding, living relationship that he desires. And when you're trapped in sin, we're dead in trespass and sin, and there's nothing we can do about it. And you say, that's so depressing. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Because, you see, Jesus is not only described as grace, which is the full package, he's also described as, as a savior. Now, the really cool part is, is you need to know you need a savior to need a savior. You say, that sounded weird. Well, I'll tell you what. If you don't think you need a Savior, you don't know you got a problem. I want to know i got a problem so I can figure out what I need. Correct? Peel that back just a little bit. There's a lot of people today that don't even know they need a Savior. Especially in America. We've been treated so good for so long by a great and awesome God. Think of the battles in the Revolutionary War. Study history. It's amazing. We shouldn't have had a chance. George Washington, on numerous occasions, leading his armies with no money, literally no food, no provisions, no clothing, even uh, shoes on their feet, somehow, through the providence of God, were able to evade at times and to employ victory on a super powerful nation. And since that time, literally, God has fashioned this nation into one that loves God and freedom. Now, we're vastly, we're quickly moving away from it because of our situation and how we deal with truth. And the Bible is very clear that it is, as Jesus, even a high priestly prayer in John 17, thy word is truth. Isn't that perfect? Isn't that beautiful? That's what we need today. We need more of that. But I'm here to say that the Bible is going to tell us more about grace. So our problem is sin, and grace literally delivers us from the penalty of sin. That's the first one that we find in regards to that. And I'm, I'm glad to say, have you ever, did you ever take a really difficult class in school? Uh, high school, college, whatever. And it was so tough that the professor or teacher felt so sorry for you that they marked on the curve. Did anyone have a class like that? I had one. It was physics. And we, <laughs> apparently we as a group weren't very smart because he felt sorry for us. And he said, okay, high grade's an A, and we'll work off of that. And I was so thankful for what he did. Right? Now, God, unfortunately, can't mark on the curve because he's described for us as being just, holy, and righteous, 100% awesome all of the time. That's a problem for us. Because, you know, there's not anyone that I know of that would have said, I'm perfect in every way. There's a song about that, but he was a liar. Right? Remember that song, that country western song by whoever it was? I can't remember. Who was that? Do you guys remember? Mac Davis, wasn't it? Yeah. He sounded so cool, but he was so wrong. And you guys all know that. There's no way for us to, to be perfect. If it is, we've got a problem. 
fact, God's word says that he that says he's without sin is a liar. But God doesn't judge on the curve. He judges absolutely perfectly right down the line. And the really cool thing is he provided the perfect way to be perfect. And that was Jesus Christ. He started with a God. He started with the God, which is described as, as God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a great place to start, isn't it? And he literally gave him to pay for us. He was the redemption. He was, we're going to be talking about this. Actually ties into the four. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's never happened before. So we'll just leave it at that, right? It'll be my first, first. And what were you going to say, dear? Ha, yeah, exactly. You've seen it before, haven't you? At any rate, it's interesting to see that the, the reason that, that we can be, uh, what should I say? Removed from the penalty of sin. The first aspect of grace is because there was a perfect sacrifice and payment made. So we're removed from the penalty of sin. In other, you're out of the penalty box. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's the first thing that you usually get. Oh, and I'm so glad that's over. If you've trusted Christ, you can say, you know what? I don't have any wars in front of me in the sense of being accepted by God. I have the peace with him, but there's so much more. If you stop right there with the penalty of sin, your life is going to be not as full and rich as it could be because there's three more things I want to talk about. It's not just the penalty of sin. It's also he removes from us the power of sin. Now, this is past. I'm just going to put this. This would be your past. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, your past is taken care of. There's not another sin that literally can do anything with you except Jesus Christ acting as your defense attorney. How many of you have had a defense attorney in your past? You don't need to raise your hand. That seems incriminating by itself. But just think about it. Have you ever had a defense attorney if you say no? That's good. If you need one, who would you get? I would want Jesus is who I would want to be my defense attorney. And you know what? In, second, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus Christ, our advocate. That's a nice way of saying lawyer, defense attorney that's literally sitting at the right hand of God. And when Satan comes as the accuser of brethren, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, when Satan comes, and he doesn't probably do it with me, he says, you know that, Larry, you've got to watch out for him. Did you see what he did yesterday? And Jesus said, I did. And I paid for that because he's trusting me. Well, how about I paid for that too? How about, and that one too. And he, you know what? He's your defense attorney if you've trusted him as being because he's your savior saving you from anything that could happen to you in the regards to sin. Are you getting excited? If not, I hope so. We're going to keep working at it, but that's our past. Now today, the other thing is if we just had to be from the past and then we had to wander through and meander through our present time, would that not be tough or what? How many of you want to get up tomorrow morning and say, well, there's not a thing in the world I can do because I don't know how to live. I, mean, I have no power over it. Oh, yes, you do. Grace is not just dealing with the past. It also has the ability to break the power of sin, and that's in your present. Today and, and yesterday and tomorrow... All of those, if you're in Christ Jesus, literally can be broken in the sense of its power because you're no longer in its dominion. I want you to go to Romans chapter 6. Hold your place in Titus. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. It says this, very clearly, leaving nothing to doubt. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under, guess what? Grace. You're under grace. The power that was holding you captive is gone. 
It effectually, it, 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 it has affected a change in our present condition. No longer does sin have dominion over you. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, turn with me there, another fabulous passage. These are probably f- familiar to many of you, but that's okay. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Watch what happens. It's an inside job, if you will. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, you want to be in Christ, trust me, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is wonderful. Remind yourselves of that. See, when, when you accept Christ, there's some things that take place. The Holy Spirit takes, takes position within you. He dwells in you. He seals you. He says, no longer are you, oh, I'm moving into another one. The fourth one is what I just about rolled into. And then you would have known the answer and you wouldn't have stuck around. You might have left early, but I didn't do that. I just saved my day. And here we're still on number two. At any rate, the Holy Spirit, quite interestingly enough, takes residence inside of you. He baptizes you or immerses you into Jesus Christ. We actually talked about that some year as uh, Betty Jean and uh, where's Kurt? There he is. We were baptized in the Ruby River. That was so cool, wasn't it? That was awesome. Much the same way, that's a picture of what's happened when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. You're literally baptized into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit who puts his seal on you and says, that's my property. I want to be God's property. And when you are, he doesn't sell you at a garage sale. I saw a yard sale today and I just bought my mind. Thank goodness God doesn't have yard sales. He keeps his possessions, every single one of them, because he paid with his own son, Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. But the power that is broken of sin is today. See, saving grace, the grace that we're talking about today, literally, is it, when, when it starts on the inside. How many of you had a, a, a computer that has a mind of its own? Somebody raised their hand, right? And, and most of the time, it's, we just don't understand how to program this. And you've heard the reboot system? I thought that was booted out the door, right? Reboot it. But literally what happens to you, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, guess what? You get a brand new software package. It's brand new software. And your hardware is going to be replaced in the future. That's what really grace does in the future is it takes us away from the presence of sin. And that was was ahead of the curve because that was number three, but you'll forget it by the time we get there. The software package that we're really talking about today is the sense of what happens when you accept Jesus Christ. You're reprogrammed from the inside. And the things that you used to hate, you love now. And the things you used to love, you no longer have a desire for. And that's how the power of sin has literally broken your life. The things that you had to think you had to have, the hold is broken. And it's from the inside. It's transforming from the inside. It's not fully up to you. Now, you do need to exit. We'll be talking about this in a moment. There are things that you need to be in the sense of he allows you the power to deny. We'll look at it in a moment. But thinking of that, that the power of sin is literally broken. Now, grace becomes a teacher. A teacher. But it's even more than that. Go back to Titus and let's look at the word that's used here. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that it bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God loves to save people. Now watch verse 12. It's beyond that. It's teaching us. Teaching us. What, uh, I, want th- I want you to think for a moment 
Uh, who was the best teacher that you ever had growing up? And, and, and you all have a different one, I'm hoping anyway. If you all have the same one, that person needs to be elevated to a high level of status. But that teacher that you really uphold and you lift to a high level, what were some things about him or her that made them significant in your life? Let's just share for just a second. She cared about you. She showed a, a desire for you, right? What else? They listened to you. Encourage. Patience. Isn't that beautiful? I can think of, of, of just, if we just stopped right there, I know there's more sharing that you do. Those things in and of themselves make a fantastic teacher because you feel valuable. Right? You feel valuable. That's exactly what grace is described for us. It says that it teaches us. It instructs us. But it's even more than that. Think of someone that would be a tutor. What's the difference between a teacher and a tutor? In my mind. Actually, I did not look it up. Maybe it's just in my own mind. But what's the difference between a teacher and a tutor? And a tutor is much more one-on-one, more personal. Am I okay with this? Okay, if I'm wrong, correct me because I didn't do my homework. Why does, there was a pun there too. Did you catch it? At any rate, the, 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 the tutor is literally almost living with you and wanting you personally to succeed. A teacher many times has like this number of pupils or this number of students and they're trying their best to communicate, but a tutor is more, Paul, you need to work on your math and I'm here to help you get that math figured out because I care about you. So let's get started. Now, do, you, do, you, do you see the difference? That's exactly what grace is considered here. It's not just a teacher, it's the sense of tutoring. Bringing on board personally to protect you and to provide power over sin, not sin powering over you. You say, how long is this going to keep this energy level up? I don't know, but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. I'm on fire today, right? God is good. God is good. And that word tutor, actually, did you know the word tutor means to come alongside of? Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly. I remember uh, my first grade teacher, her name was Mrs. Peterson. And she had, I don't remember, how many kids were in it? Like 16 or 18 in first grade, right? And she was that kind of a person, even though she had all of those pupils. I was one of the, when when I learned to read, ho, 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 that was a brand new, I love to read, still do. And she saw, you know, we go through the books. In first grade, it's not like it's a huge lofting intellectually, but you got it. But you know, I, just, I read all the books. I just read them. I was done. Half the year was, I still a half year in front of me. Now, you know what? That really made her a great teacher. Well, she came alongside of me and she said, Larry, here's another book. Why don't you go ahead and read this one and fill this one out? And, and then here's another one. And do you see what she did? She was taking me. She was going alongside of me to take me to a level that was better for me. That's exactly what grace is set up for you to do to make you better. You guys aren't nearly excited enough. It's okay. It's okay. We're not there yet. We're not there. Let's go to John chapter 1. Hold yourself in Titus. John chapter 1 verse 17. Because it's not just grace. Look what Jesus Christ came to do. John chapter 1 and verse 17. See, Jesus Christ tied a couple of things together. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 17 says this. And the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that good? Now turn back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Look at the power here. Romans chapter 5, verse 21 says, But as that as sin hath reigned or ruled unto death, that was the end result, even so might grace reign or rule through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace has acted not only as delivering us from the penalty of sin, but it's also given us freedom from the power of sin. It it has taught us to denounce sin. Let's go back to Titus and let's look at some things that Paul is describing for us in this passage in verse 12. It's talking about what he teaches us. There are two levels, if you will. It tells us that teaching us or tutoring us, coming alongside of us, that denying two things. It says to, to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. To deny ungodliness. What does deny mean? Okay. Or to press back, to to hold back, to literally make a decision for. Denying ungodliness. Now that, quite honestly, maybe the best way to say that is just the lack of reverence for God. And, and, and in our nation today, it's pretty rampant that there's a lack of reverence for God, the Almighty, isn't it? That's, that's literally <coughs> the sense of, <coughs> of what we're talking about here. It's not to have a sense of reverence, to put that behind you. This, you know, the sinner is transformed from a, uh, an irreverent person into a worshiper of God. And that transformation comes again from the inside. But not only are we to deny ungodliness, there's also one other thing. It says worldly lusts. That is the worldly desires, fleshly lusts. Uh, uh, We're no longer under his dominion, but quite honestly, Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 6 and 7 that we still have this fleshly body. We still have these fleshly desires. They're still with us. There's There's this battle that takes place within us, and you know what I'm talking about. If you're living the Christian life and you really, I mean, there is, there's, there's both forces that are just hammering on you, right? Ah, right? And it's just, this, it is a war. It really literally is. And when you succumb to the fleshly desires, it's a result that you didn't deny. You didn't push back. But if you do, the good news is it doesn't matter. He is faithful and just to forgive those that confess their sin. Best thing is to just come clean. Just come clean, Right? I remember as a kid, Mom, you're not listening, are you? Good. You're okay. Just, you know, the worst thing was is after I'd done something wrong, it wasn't me that didn't know I'd done something wrong. I just didn't want to fess up to the punishment, right? And how do you get around that? Well, most of the time, you think it's easier to lie or not tell the truth. What's the difference between, not, uh, between lying and not telling the truth? I don't know either, but it sounds better if you say I just didn't tell the truth. But I would say, I don't know. Isn't that a good way of saying that? Who did that? I don't know, right? I use that one a lot. Yeah. Or she did, right? It's amazing. How could you both not do it, right? Even though somebody did it. But, but once we got it over with, right? You got through it. You told the truth. And my mom or dad figured it out. And you got through whatever it was that, you know, my dad had a different way of dealing with it. It was a little more severe. But when it was over, it was over, right? And it felt, you know what? It still felt right. Because that relationship was back, wasn't it? Whatever was marring, whatever was standing in between me, it was over. It's the same thing. When we fall flat on our face, when we fail, God is only a prayer away. He desires to hear the honest truth. 
You know, the prodigal son. I was going to actually talk about a sermon today or a message on the prodigal son. But it was a sense of alerting myself to the fact of literally there in the prodigal son. You, you guys all know the story, right? Apparently not very well. We, yeah, there's a few of you. The prodigal son, there was one, he wanted his father's inheritance. And he was the younger. The older brother would have had two times the, 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 the rights of, of the younger brother. And he said, Dad, I want, I, want, I want what's coming to me. Now, that was before his father died. There was some really serious implications of that. It was like, you know, Dad, I really just would soon wish you were dead. But if you aren't, I would like to have what you were going to give to me if you were. Could I have it, please? I don't remember the please being in there. And he took off. And his dad... He sold what he had to have, gave him his inheritance, takes off for the city. That doesn't say that, does it? But it says he went off into the world, and he was a wild boy. He was partying and carrying on and doing everything imaginable, and his life just turned inside out and upside down, and there was no money left. Isn't it amazing how you can be parted from your money quickly? No money, no fun. It tells us that even this Jewish boy was actually the last job in the world would have been for him was to feed the hogs. Feed the hogs. It got worse. It got worse than feeding the hogs. He didn't even have enough money to, pay, to, to, to buy food for himself. He was literally fighting the pigs for the food. Now, if, if, if you don't think that's the bottom of the barrel, the end of your rope, it is. There's nothing left. That's as low as you can get. But you know what the key was? I'm going to take you back to Luke chapter 15, and I want to see where this all changed place. Because his relationship to his father, he was still his father. But he wasn't acting like it. Let's look at this. I want you to, I want you to see this. This is the same thing for us as we come to Jesus. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Talk about a relationship change. Luke chapter 15, and we'll start in, I'm going to say like verse, I'll get there. You're beat me. Uh, let's look at verse 17. We want to get ourselves set up right, though. Um, let's, verse 14. This, this describes for us kind of as we're moving down to the bottom. There's no one, no thanks lower. Verse 14. When he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain to have filled his belly with the husks, or the food, the feed that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. What's verse 17 now? And when he came to himself. Stop. What is the world does that mean? When he came to himself. He came to his senses. He looked in the mirror. He said, you know, I got to quit telling a lie. This is absolutely where I'm at. I have nothing. My father is there. And let's face the facts. I need to humble myself. I need to go back to dad. I'll take my whooping, my licking, whatever it is. But I'm better off being in my dad's camp than being here going crazy with nothing. The hogs. And that's really where it started. You just need to be truthful about where we're at. And you know what? Grace not only saves you, it searches for you. Did you see what his dad was doing? What, 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 if, what if that kid was your, was your son? Don't answer the question. But his dad, as the scriptures tell us, he literally was looking for him and saw him when he was a far distance off. That's just how God is. That's just how God's grace is. It's looking and searching for you. Just come to your senses. Come to yourself, right? And then let's keep adding on to what else you get as a result. Uh, I would like to look at something uh, that I think this is very important. 
um, as we talk about the sense of denouncing sin, to deny it, to reject it, um, there's a thought that you've probably heard. You know, I would like to, this is, a, this is just kind of a quote. It may not be exact, but, you know, I, I'm just, I'd just like to continue my life just as it is. I just don't want to go to hell. I'd like to just continue the pathway I'm going, but I just don't want to go to hell. Now, that would, now, do you see, let, let, let's take that for a second now. If that's truly, if that is the most sinister thing we have, then how did Jesus pray in regards to that? Let's go to the scripture. Let's go to John chapter 16 for a moment. John chapter 16. And let's watch the word that he's using. And it actually ties into our first point of that is we're protected from the penalty of sin. But watch John chapter 16 and verse 8. Now what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit coming. Verse 7 begins this way. Now again, uh, just as an introduction to that, the disciples... Uh, Jesus started to tell them toward the end of his tenure on earth, he'd been with them for three years, and he, could, he knew his end was coming. He knew that the sacrifice was pending. He knew that he would be crucified. He knew he'd be buried. And then he would go back to the Father. And he kept telling the disciples, I must go so the Comforter can come. They didn't know who the Comforter was. When's the last time a disciple saw the Holy Spirit? They had no idea. They just knew who Jesus was, and they knew at three years of traveling with him, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. Why would you want him to leave? Watch this. He describes now in verse 7, chapter 16 of John, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It's best for you that I go away. For I, if I go not away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Verse 8. Now watch. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of hell. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Exactly right. I want to be saved not from hell, which is a byproduct. That's the word. That's my word. I want to be saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, and the possession of sin. And I gave all four away now. What was wrong with me? Oh, well, let's have a benediction. Get out of here, right? I gave it all away. That was quick, wasn't it? You see, it's sin is the problem. That's what I want to be saved from. That's literally it. Sin is the problem. Let's keep going. But not only are we to deny, go back to Titus, we've got some things to say. You already put your Bible away, didn't you? Oh, my goodness. I, I got, we've got to stop that. We've got to stop that. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, and let's look now. That not only is, the, is, the, is uh, grace teaching us, tutoring us, coming alongside of us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, but it's also coming alongside to affirm, to help us to, there's three things, to live soberly. To live soberly. What, now, that's a, that's a word that maybe doesn't capture everything that is here. Well, if someone's living soberly, what would you say that means? <laughs> that's a true statement. Thinking about your behavior. Sensibly. That's really probably the word that captures. Living sensibly. How can I live that would be the best for me? Isn't that, isn't that good? Now, granted, you're not going to get a lot of that from the world. The culture in which we find ourselves living. Have you turned on the news anytime recently? It's just too much for me. I can't watch too much at a time. Are you guys that way? Yeah. Even if you watch something that is sort of on your page, I can't. I, I shut it off. I can't take that much right now. I can't, I can't deal with that. You're not going to get a lot of help from how to live sensibly from the media. Amen. And that includes Facebook. Now, I'm not, I'm not on Facebookers. Calm down, calm down, calm down. But again, isn't it amazing that Facebookers 
All they're really trying to do is impress the rest of the world with how great their life is. And the other ones are depressed because their life's not as good as that. Amen. Amen. I had at least one guy believes with. Now, don't, I, I did not say to stop doing it. But you see what I'm saying? We often get out of balance, don't we? It's so easy in our culture today to be so eschewed from everything that's going around that we miss what's sensible. Isn't that true? Yeah. It's really, really true. It's so hard to be focused on sensibleness today. Self-control. Being on the alert. Now, that's the other thing. Being on the alert. I, I can't say that loudly enough, especially for our young people. Think of the world in which we have today. People that are in high school, college. There is so much to be contaminated with in thinking and all of the things that are buzzing around us, right? Look at, the, look at the drugs. And I'm not even talking illegal drugs. I'm just talking about, have you watched the television program? I mean, there is more drug prescription commercials than I've ever seen, ever. And the side effects are much worse than what we're trying to treat. What's happening to us? What it, now, again, I'm saying if, if you need a drug that's free, you need to use it. But I'm afraid what's happening in our country today is no longer we even thinking clearly, let alone thinking sensibly. You see it? It's horrible. It's horrible. That's one of the things that grace allows us to do is to think or live sensibly. But not only that, uh, back to your Bibles, it says we should live soberly and righteously. Now, that's a word that, uh, quite honestly, I, I, in, in this respect here, righteously, to live right. But it's our relationship with others. How do you treat others? That's a pretty good idea. In other words, how you treat others is kind of a mirror of how you treat God. If you're going to treat others like dirt, I'm probably here to say you're going to treat God like dirt. Right? And it's amazing. I've seen, I've seen changes. Even in some of you, I just look out there and I see how, how your lives have changed in respect how you treat others. That's so beautiful. And then you know what? That's grace that's allowing the power to do that. And then lastly, living sensibly, living righteously. How do you treat others? And then it says, what's the last one? Got to get my glasses. And Godly. That, that literally is how do we treat Christ? How do we treat God? How do we look at God? Do we honor Him? Do we worship Him? Do we adore Him? Do we praise Him? Let me show you First uh, Timothy. Let's go there for a moment. Just turn back just a couple of pages probably for most of you. First Timothy chapter 4. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. You see, uh, to live this way. Now, by the way, even though grace is free to us, it costs Jesus everything. You know, it's still a lot of hard work. Have you guys ever had, have you ever had a job that you really had a great deal of, uh, what, what I want to say, satisfaction in? I'm going to tell you something. You didn't get that by just sitting on your duff, right? I'm just going to take it easy and it's just going to be good. You show me where you haven't worked hard for something and I'll show you you aren't satisfied. Correct? Please, somebody say amen because that's the way it is. That's the way our world works. Show me an athlete that's a world class or a, or a professional basketball team that they didn't ever practice. They just said, oh, I'm just really good. That's a lie, isn't it? No, and godliness, living righteously, living soberly or sensibly is hard work. Look at this. Verse 7 of chapter 4 of 1 Timothy says, But refuse profane an old wives' fable. Watch. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You know, just as we have physical muscles we need to exercise, we have spiritual muscles that need to be exercised. It doesn't just happen. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Work hard. 
work hard. Not working for grace, working because of grace. Well, our third one, and you're going to say, boy, if we don't move quickly, we're not going to get through this, Larry. You're right, but I'm, I'm cognizant of that fact. And we're going to go to the third one, and that is presence of sin. One day, you won't even be in the presence of sin. That's our future. You've got a past, you've got a present. Oh, I'm sorry, this is future. Because there's a blessed hope. It's described for us. Let's go back to Titus. Titus chapter 2. And let's look now at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the... Watch this now. This is really cool how this is put together. Of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Totally allowing for Jesus Christ to be seen as God. He is part of the Godhead, the presence of sin, that blessed hope, no more sin. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. If you've got that air conditioner on high, Paul, it's not very cold in here right now. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. See if you can't make that find another level. Now that's up. Now we've got to go down. That's up. There we go. Now we're talking good stuff. Here we go. Um, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Watch this now. If you don't think, just think about this. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, you're heirs of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're, we're still in this present form, but we know that when he shall appear, Jesus Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is such an exciting verse to me. That is so cool. Literally, the presence of sin will be gone forever. There's no more sin. There's no more crying. There's no more... In fact, we read it in True Seekers on uh, Thursday night. Let's go there for just a second. I was just thinking of it. Let's go to Revelation chapter two, 22. Now, everybody this week has had some sense of a disappointment. Something has brought a tear to your eye. Something has been over the top. But I'm telling you, in your future, that will come to an end. I've got to think about where I was at now. Oh, yeah, there we go. 21. I told you, 22. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 are awesome chapters. Read it at home tonight. Do you want to get cheered up? Read it to your family. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. This is coming because the presence of sin will be wiped away. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall be any more pain. For former things are passed away. And I'm telling you, if that isn't something that's delightful, that's the full impact of grace. You think it's just receiving a pass? No, no, no. It's much bigger than that. To be able to break the power of sin presently, to be able to be gone from the presence of sin in the future, that's unreal, isn't it? You guys aren't excited. Let's go on to number four, because I'm going to go to one more for you. One more. Actually, I wanted to, uh, let's see, let me look at a couple things. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Had this in my notes. Philippians chapter 3, and let's look at this. <coughs> you're actually seen as citizens of heaven. Now, some of you, if I were to ask you where you're a citizen of, you'd say the United States. Or you may say Sheridan. You may say Twin Bridges. You may say Her- or, um, Ennis or anywhere else. But quite honestly, if you're in Jesus Christ, you're a citizen in heaven. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, in the King James, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. In maybe your other version, it says, for our citizen 
citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I'm going to tell you, that is so cool to know. Forever, forever, forever. But literally, before Jesus Christ, you were possessed by sin. Sin owned you. There wasn't anything you could do about it. You were bought and paid for by sin. But verse 14 of chapter 2 of Titus says something very different. It says that Jesus Christ himself for us redeemed us. How many of you redeemed something this week? Anybody redeem anything? You look... Excuse me? Nothing? <laughs> that was a good try. Yes? My life after we went up that golf. <laughs> Her life after she went up that golf. So let me just talk to you. Have any of you in this room outside of Lisa, Alta, and her sister Bonnie went home there to Ennis, but how many of you went from Barton Gulch over the top and went into Virginia City with a Subaru? Aha! The hands dropped like a rock. The guy on the four-wheeler toward the top of that said, you shouldn't go any further. Oh, no, Lisa's left hand just said, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And Alf is going crazy, I know, because I wasn't there, but I could tell. She did. And they drove right down into Virginia City with the Subaru. Oh, yeah. Scary thoughts going on there, right? Not for Lisa. No problem at all. Just keep going. It's an all-terrain vehicle, right? All right. Let's come back to the uh, redeem. Redeem. I'm going to say that most of you in this room probably redeemed something this week. You redeemed something this week. It literally means to purchase. You would have went to the store and you would have redeemed or purchased something. You paid for it and it was yours. Now, keep, let's just work with this for a second now. I think, I think it's going to work. I didn't, by the way, I did not rehearse this. This may have a pitfall, but we'll work right through as we go. So you go into the store and you buy a box of Wheaties. Why did I say that? I have no idea. But here we got our box of Wheaties. We go out the side of the door. We've paid for it. Now, we've paid cash because that's simpler. I'm not going to say use a credit card that didn't work. I'm going to use cash. The tender is received. It says paid for. You have a slip. You have a receipt. It is your box of Wheaties. You step out the door, and the clerk comes out and says, wait a minute, I want that back. And you say, I paid for it. I paid for that. And you say, well, that's rather obvious. That's the same thing we miss when we know that we have been saved by grace, redeemed by Jesus Christ himself, not somebody else. He didn't somebody somebody else to do his work. Himself, he redeemed us and claimed us for his own possession. And he doesn't give a box of Wheaties back either. (laughs) Because he paid for it. He paid for you. And that was too loud. Woohoo is right. And I'm telling you, you're secure in Jesus because he redeemed you himself. 
That was a little loud. I apologize. But it's so exciting to know you're his property. You're his possession. He lives within you. And the Holy Spirit has a seal of approval. The seal of authority says, that's my property and no one can have it. That's what I'm talking about. Grace is fully. It is powerful, isn't it? So we better write this down because you no longer are possessed by sin. Tell me if I'm right on my spelling. Is there two pairs of S's? Is that right or wrong? Is it right? It's amazing how when you're doing a bullet, when you're a board, you have to step back about to this level. That looks right. Very good. Possession. And you know what? We've got, you say, what are you going to call that? That's past, present, future. Possession for all time. For all time. You're secure in Jesus Christ. I, I want to say that from the, herald it from the top rafters of the biggest building forever because therein lies the key for you to really be safe in Jesus Christ. I was sitting back at the table as we started service today, and I came up with a, a bunch of... See, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know if, where that comes from, but, you know, you start stuff with the same letter. You kind of, did you see that? It was yeah. catchy. Yeah, there's something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good. Larry, Lisa, Lin, yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of that kind of guy, right? Start with the same. Well, I came up with stuff that started with S's because I started with grace saves you. Say, I said us. Grace saves us. Bear with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run these by. I think these, these add the capture, the fullness, the full extent of what grace can do for us. God, I'm sorry, grace saves us. Grace strengthens us. Grace stimulates us. Grace sanctifies us. Grace supports us. Grace satisfies us. Grace stabilizes us. I wanna, I'm going to break with that. Hold, hold, hold me there. I'm going to come back to that, but I want to talk to you. My morning was full. Uh, there was a gentleman that called early, earlier this morning, and I don't know. It was one of those things. If you had the Holy Spirit, you just need to go. You just need to show up. And that's what I did. I drove this guy's place, came out, and he was hurting. I shared with him for probably an hour. Just you know, And he's, he's just... There's nothing left. Now, I, I share, remember last week's sermon? Do you guys remember? Well, you weren't all here. But you remember it? Anybody? See, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Not all things are good, but all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But you know the thing that I needed? I knew that, but I needed something else. That's why Romans chapter 28, verses 26 and 27 says, when I don't even know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Oh, I ha- that was, that was li- you know what? I shared that with that gentleman this morning. I said, you know what? I know you're, I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting. In fact, his, his marriage is in trouble. His family's being torn apart. His job, secu- his job and his security, everything is just a total mess and he's just sitting there just weeping. I want you to pray for him. I don't need to name names or anything, but God knows who, who I'm talking about. God knows when you're praying for him who you're talking about. And we sat there and prayed. And the Spirit had brought me to that man. And you know what? Grace will stabilize that man as well. He will hold the foundation. When you don't even know... See, a week ago when that hailstorm hit us, I don't know why, but that was the straw that just said, that's it. I, can't, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Now, I, had I given up on God? Of course not. Did I, re, did, I, did I not trust God? No, I, no. But you know what helped me? To know that the Holy Spirit 
was actually literally praying for me when I couldn't. Man, is that powerful, isn't it? That's all under the package of grace. And I know, I can tell, I know, I know a lot of you out there, there's days like that, isn't there? I met a man this morning, I want you to pray for he and his family. They're desperate straits. And then this afternoon, 2 o'clock, you know, I usually study from noon to 3. I want it as fresh as I can be. You guys don't probably know that, but my subject for what we talked about today... No, it wasn't that late. It was noon. It was noon today to solidify it. I was actually, a prodigal son was really on my mind, but you know why? I knew why. Because it, it pictures for us truly grace that is searching for us when we have nothing to give. But another call came in and she said, Larry, I won't be here. I won't be at church. We're just too overwhelmed. There's just too many things going on in our lives right now. I can't. I just, and she said, I know I should be. I said, well, I'd encourage you to be there because of one thing. You know the first gentleman I just talked about? I'm, I'm going back for a second. You know the thing that he just kept hitting me? He said, I feel so alone and isolated. I said, let me, let me be very, very clear right now. That is not from God. That is from the enemy. God does not want you to feel isolated and lonely because he said, I will be with you forever. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm with you. I'm right beside you. And when you can't even move, the Holy Spirit is going to pray for you, and I will carry you if I need to. Where is that in the sense of loneliness or isolation? No, I, told, I just shared. I said, no. That, and he said, you know, I, we just haven't been able to get involved in a body. We've been moving around. I said, that, that's not what God wants. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. I, you didn't use the word worry. I said, just think about today. Take it in five-minute increments. Just get involved in other Christians' lives. They're there for God and the Holy Spirit to work through them to help you. That's what it's about. Anyway, the second part, let's go back. And she said, I'm just overwhelmed. I know I should be there. I said, I'm not going to tell you where to be, but I'm just going to tell you this. God wants you in the presence of other Christians. You need fuel. You need energy. When's the last time you bought a brand new car and it had a quarter tank? No, I'm sorry. If you bought one yesterday, it's got one gallon in it. It's just going to get you out the door. And then they say, who cares about you? But you know what? If you don't put gas in that tank, that car could be worth a million dollars and it isn't worth anything until you really fill it up and keep it energized. It's the same as you. If you're not filled in the spirit, if you're not filling your tank, oh, man. Am I talking too fast? Did I have an energy drink or something? What's going on, right? But I'm telling you what, the Holy Spirit is cool because he energizes you. Let's come back. Can you guys rehearse for me what we talked about? The grace saves you. Grace strengthens you. Grace, I don't know, stimulates you, sanctifies you, supports you, satisfies you, stabilizes us. And then I didn't go any further. The next one is, I think, just a second, sustains us. Isn't that good? Just holds us in their very arms. I prayed for that man today. I said, I just pray, Lord God, that you would hold this man and his family in your arms. May he feel the very warmth of you today. And then the last one, which we really discovered, and this one is huge. Grace secures us. And then overarching all of that, there's nine, because you can't stop at nine, right? So I'm scrambling. I'm, what, there's got to be ten. There just has to be ten. You know what the tenth one is, really, literally? At the very beginning, it was just like the prodigal son. Grace will search for you. Grace will search for you. Jesus Christ died for every single man, woman, and child in this world. And it's up to us to receive what he is spreading and sharing amongst the world at its largest levels. That's exciting. Did you get the full impact 
of what grace really is? You see, it's not just being saved from hell. It's being saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin, and the possession of sin, and you're all God's business and property. And he says, hands off. I love them too much to leave them where they are. Now that's a Savior and a God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love and care. Thank you, Father, that we can be energized and strengthened by the Word of God. Thank you for giving us all that we need, our provisions, to become everything that you want us to be. I pray for these, Father. There's a battle. There's a war out there. There's things vying for their attention, vying for their focus. And, Father, may you put your arms around them, holding them, be with our young people, our kids, our children, those that are in a, in a very vulnerable position. Pray for every aspect of everyone's life, Father. You know exactly where they're at. I think of those true prayer requests today that I just want to share. Uh, I'll leave them nameless. They're anonymous to us, but they're not to you. You know exactly who they are. You know exactly what they need. You know exactly what would be for their good and your glory. Thank you for grace. Thank you for all that it does to us and for us and through us. Especially thank you that it secures us. That our future is fixed. It's yours. To one day to be able to look in the face of the one who spread his hands, his arms, nailed to a cross, and said, it is finished, which was the end of the beginning. And for me to look face to face into my Savior Jesus Christ's eyes is unimaginable. But I am his purchased possession. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the plan. Thank you for the work that was accomplished. Thank you for grace. Thank you for all of the aspects of it, of which we, quite honestly, haven't even touched upon. But may it help us to relationally become stronger and fuller and richer because of what Jesus did. Now, all of these things we thank you for and ask for your provisions and safety and wisdom and courage for the week before us. In Jesus' name, amen.